It's go time. You're listening live to Third Down Gamble. First down. Alberta is 0 for 4. Mitchell is out. It's not looking good if you're red, green, or gold. Hello, everybody. Don Charbon along with Pat Mooney and Heath Graham. The entire crew is here tonight for the first time since, I think, 1966. Alberta has gone 0 for 4 to start the season, but this is the first time in my research that Alberta has gone 0 for 4 at home to start a season. We've had many discussions in the past about how the Western teams seem to be stronger, but at the first two weeks, uh, I'm certainly of the, the understanding, at least the way things have started so far, that the Eastern teams may have better records than the West this year. We potentially may have the first crossover going the other way. We talked last week about the possibility of Edmonton and BC meeting in an Ofer must-win game in week number three. BC's got that win, and who would have thought it would be Edmonton and Calgary that are sitting 0-2? It's kind of a shocking result. Uh, great to see that the, the other two Prairie teams are 2-0, and uh, tied for first place in the West, so it's going to be an exciting race here in the, in the West, and if Michael Riley stays healthy and BC can continue to do what they're doing. They're in a great spot right now as well. So it might be one of one of or both of the Alberta teams on the outside looking in. Here's a question for you two. Of the 0-2 teams, which includes the Hamilton Tiger Cats, which one of these teams is the most surprising 0-2 for you? Hamilton, by far. It is surprising for Hamilton, but let's keep in mind that their two games have been against Saskatchewan and Winnipeg on the road in two very tough stadiums to win in as a road team. So I would say the biggest shock for me right now would be Calgary. Pat, what about you? I, I'd go back to Hamilton too. I think I, along with many prognosticators, believe that they might be the best team in the CFL. Now we, we have to understand there's been a, a plethora of injuries and they certainly aren't the same team they had in 2019, but I did expect that they'd at least be as strong Coming back, they've lost a few, you know, Dub and Bro, and and their offensive line certainly has shown some struggles too. So for me, that that's certainly been the team that most surprises me. What surprises me more about the Tie Cats is how bad they've looked doing it. Let's just get to get to the games here, and let's just sort of break this down game by game because there's a lot to digest from from week two in the CFL. This opened with the uh, BC Lions going into Calgary and winning their first of the season, 15-9 over the Stampeders on Thursday night. Unbeknownst to anyone other than maybe Bo and a couple of other people, Bo Living Mitchell, the quarterback for the Stampeders, was playing on a broken fibula. And this injury had occurred the week before in the game against Toronto. A real gut check that he could withstand it. I, I've never had a broken fibula. I don't know how painful that is, but... It looked to me like Mitchell was off because four picks is just unheard of in his career. In fact, it's never happened before. Yeah, I'm kind of glad to hear that he was injured because certainly it wasn't the, the Mitchell that we were used to seeing out on the field. Calgary is a team that that uh, has really thrived with him at quarterback. And, and as you said, four interceptions is just unheard of in, in his career at this point. He just wasn't able to get anything going and... and when you talk about a player playing with a lot of guts and toughness, wow, to play on a broken leg, he's pretty impressive. Two of the interceptions by the Lions were 
amazing defensive plays. So I'm going to give them credit for those two. But the first two that Mitchell threw were basically misreads and air balls. Michael Riley put up some decent numbers, 342 yards passing. And I really thought that the Calgary defense was going to be the real problem coming into 2021 because in 2019, cracks had started to form. Brent Monson is not Devon Claybrooks back there as the defensive coordinator. And I just wonder if there's maybe something that isn't working right that they're going to have to redress. And the problem for them is that they've got a team that can light you up for 40 points coming up. Well, we talked about it earlier in our season preview about whether or not Calgary is a team on the decline. And there are definitely some holes in that armor. And now losing a player of Bo Levi Mitchell's caliber for up to six weeks with his broken leg, it's not looking good in Calgary. I mean, I was amazed to read that he played that game on a broken leg as well. Four interceptions, you're right, absolutely. It was not the Bo Levi Mitchell we're used to seeing. However, he didn't look like he was really struggling to move around out there. So he really gutted that out as best as he could. Uh, But now we're looking at six weeks without him and that defense like you said is not what they used to be either and I think Calgary's in a really really tough spot. Calgary gave up almost 440 yards of offense to the Lions that night. Brian Burnham and Lucky Whitehead went over 100 yards. That's in Calgary though that's the problem I think for the Stampeders. Calgary traditionally under the Huffnagel era has been a very 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 difficult team to defeat at McMahon Stadium and suddenly they almost look ordinary. BC did put up some offensive numbers but at the end of the day they still only scored 15 points as well so I can't imagine people were expecting BC to come in and score 15 points and get the W. When was the last time that Calgary was held to eight points at home? I can't imagine Don you're the stats guy I know you don't have it off the top of your head but it's definitely been a while uh, since they've had a, a offensive output as low as I uh, sorry nine points not eight, uh, but that was a pretty pretty low scoring game all around. And uh, if BC can convert some of those big yardage plays into more touchdowns, that offense can get rolling. I mean, Three hundred yards passing is a great game for any quarterback, but still only fifteen points on the board. They've left some out there. Well, and Mitchell also threw for close to three hundred yards. I mean, there was a, the the ball moved throughout the field. Um, it was certainly a low-scoring game for what I would come to expect from these two teams when you've got Riley versus Mitchell. That's a marquee quarterback matchup. Um, knowing Mitchell was injured certainly gives a better perspective as for why he struggled. Um, I think he's also without many experienced receivers. You know, as receivers, well, they're, they're, they're very talented. They're also, you know, haven't been in the league a long time, so maybe they're lacking some of that leadership on offense. I think you you maybe nailed it earlier. It seems to be a team on the decline. The plug-and-play system that they've had before where they really don't lose anything, I'm not sure they have that this year. So it's going to be interesting to see when o- O'Connor takes the field what's going to happen. Second game of the week was the Blue Bombers going to 2-0, defeating the undefeated Toronto Argonauts. McLeod Bethel-Thompson did not look that good, and specifically missing two opportunities with wide-open Devaris Daniels down the field where had those been completions that would have flipped the flipped the field flipped the score possibly especially on the second one that he missed in the third quarter where Daniels was off to the races he was going to score if that ball was anywhere near him 
Extremely disappointing. I, I've seen this happen with Cody Ledbetter way back with the Ottawa Renegades of the day and him going into Calgary and missing a few wide open receivers down the field. And that cost him a job. Well, we were discussing the quarterback situation in Toronto before the season even started. A lot of us thought that Arbuckle was going to be the guy. He did have some nagging injuries that gave McLeod Bethel Thompson the chance. Uh, first game, he looked pretty solid in there, put up some great numbers. Against that Winnipeg defense, he did not. Arbuckle did come in, move the ball on one drive and scored a touchdown. And that might be enough to flip things back in Arbuckle's favor in Toronto. Well, I think Arbuckle's the starting quarterback. It's just the fact that he didn't have the reps because of the hamstring injury. The interesting thing, if you look at the stats, Winnipeg, I think, rolled up 345 yards. Toronto at 289. You wouldn't have thought that given the score of the game. But Toronto, I think, pushed Winnipeg and showed that they're vulnerable. Get around the edge and, and just take a look where Willie Jefferson's playing and go the opposite way. I think Willie Jefferson's also great at playing some deceitful roles as well. You think he's coming to the line and all of a sudden he drops back and deflects a pass. He's, he's a tough guy to try to go away from when he's all over the field. And you're right, I think Toronto did expose some holes possibly in Winnipeg secondary. There, there was some mistakes that they made for sure, but they also stepped up and made some big plays later on, uh, had an interception, and really, I think, were key in keeping Winnipeg um, in control of that game. So uh, it's one of those situations where it's, as some of these rookie cornerbacks and defensive backs get some more reps in them, they can really come together. It's something that was a strength of Winnipeg in the 2019 season, uh, their defense overall, but they had some real great guys on that secondary that aren't there anymore. And it's a matter of if they tighten up those mistakes, get back in that video room and see what they did wrong, that defense can keep rolling. Kenny Lawler has resurrected his career a little bit. He's done some good things uh, with his playing time there, and he almost had 100 yards again. Well, that receiving core for Winnipeg has, has done very well this year. Kolaris, I think, is, you know, he's known as a game manager. We saw him move around in the pocket a little bit more and, and create opportunities. He was very accurate, and, and having those receivers uh, make, make the catches they do, I, I don't think they're really lacking anything. For me, I'll go back to what you said before, Heath. I think this is Winnipeg's defense. I think it's the most dominant defense in the league. MBT in the past has been a quite a gunslinger. He's often thrown for in around 300. This was an extremely uh, tough game for him. Uh, if you had him in fantasy, he had 2.8 points. Like, that's a horrible score. And unfortunately, I had him and Daniels. I was hoping for that long, <laughs> long pass. Didn't work. But, uh, you know, I think you've got to give credit to Winnipeg's defense in, in this game as well. And one thing coming up, I think, for Winnipeg that's going to do nothing but help on the on offense is Darvin Adams is back to practicing and is close to returning. So they haven't really had that deep threat. You know, Lawler and uh, Rashid Bailey have had some solid receptions for them, but to have somebody like Darvin Adams that can run that deep route and with Claris's escapability when a pocket is collapsing can make for some exciting plays between those two. So... Uh, the defense certainly has been dominating and are most responsible, I think, for Winnipeg's first two wins. But that offense can get clicking here pretty soon, too. Early game Saturday was Montreal finally stepping on the field, and they went into Commonwealth to play the Elks and took it to them. 30-13, to and Vernon Adams didn't have to do much. 13-21 for 211, but two touchdown strikes. Jake Wienicke made a fantastic catch for a touchdown in the opening quarter. And, of course, Mary Alford ran a kickback for a score as well. And when you've got that happening, 
don't need much else. They're an exciting team to watch. And we, we talked about this uh, before the season began, thinking that Montreal and Vernon Adams could be the most explosive offense. And, and after seeing this game, I think there's definitely a possibility. They seem to be in sync already in the first week. I know they had an extra week to prepare for this game. It's a small sample size as we've only seen one game from Montreal so far. But in my opinion, their offense has looked the most comfortable coming out of the gate. We've seen a lot of low-scoring games and uh, Montreal didn't seem to miss a beat. They got things rolling and put up 30 points. There's been a lot of chatter about how these first two games of the season have been preseason, in a sense. And I I don't really buy into that because preseason, you're running a lot of your backups. You're looking at your rookies. This These are the starters that are out there and performing. And if they don't perform, then the turning point in this game, I really thought, was when Edmonton had a third down gamble deep in the Alouettes zone. And they almost looked confused as to what they were going to do. And eventually, uh, Trevor Harris doesn't take the ball from center. He steps away before the ball comes out, and they don't make the first down. That, to me, was very telling. It's indicative of what we've seen with Edmonton's offense. You know, after two weeks, Harris is the leading quarterback in terms of yardage in the league, and, and the running back, James Wilder, has the most yards on the ground. And yet, they seem very ineffective on offense. And so it's a bit of an enigma because you, you look at their players and they seem to be doing well, but they're not able to put it together when it counts. They finally score a touchdown in garbage time against the Alouettes. The Stampeders didn't score one this week either. I mean, how, what, do you, what is going on in Alberta? The, the last time that both of these teams went 0-2 to start, I mentioned, was 1966. 1954 was the only other time that Calgary and Edmonton started the season 0-2. In neither case did... They do this at home. They were always on the road and home or both on the road. This is just so different. Edmonton, Elizondo is supposed to be an offensive guru. That was part of the reason why they wanted him there. If the field was 90 yards long, I think Edmonton would be in first place. Well, one of the knocks on Trevor Harris has been his red zone productivity. And unfortunately for him, he's struggling already this year in two games in, in putting points on the board when they're in the red zone. So it might be starting to get in his head a little bit as well. He doesn't look as sharp when they get into scoring range. He does a lot of things that kind of shoots himself in the foot, fumbles here and there and, and missing looks on guys. And unfortunately, the, the best plays that Trevor Harris seemed to make in game number two were to eat the ball when he had a Montreal defensive lineman right in his face. And even that lack of execution that you identified earlier, that first drive when they got the field goal, I mean, here they are. They're moving well. They've got things down, first down. They've got a five-yard pickup. They're in a nice position, second and five. But for whatever reason, that, that short attack game hasn't been working. It bounced back. Ellingson luckily caught it, but it just... It should have been a pick. should have been a pick, absolutely. But that, that seems to be where they're going. If you're going five yards at a time and you miss one, you're going to end up having to punt. And that's what's occurred many times when they get in the red zone. I almost wonder if, if Trevor Harris can't get out of his own way. You're right. And does he try to do too much? One of the things that they talked about on the TSN coverage that I thought was fantastic when they were talking about Harris's red zone struggles is we have 20 yard end zones in the CFL. So when you're on the 20 yard line, you still got 40 yards of field to work with. Your mindset and your game plan doesn't need to change. And for some reason, Harris seems to have it in his mind that he's got to do too much in too little space. And he's not taking advantage of all of the room that they have to maneuver out there. Final game of the weekend, the Hamilton Tiger Cats go into Regina and get spanked by the Rough Riders 30-8. to 
Jeremiah Mazzoli just looked out of sorts again. Two picks. Most baffling part of this game, I guess, for me, was that Mazzoli started the third quarter because he had done nothing in the first half. I know you and I were talking about that, Don, during the game, and we both were assuming that Evans would be coming in for the second half. It was really perplexing because Hamilton just didn't seem to have anything going, and even a change of pace for time may have been beneficial to them. Yet when Evans did get in, his stats weren't that much better. 3 of 10 for 21 yards. I know he's probably going to start this next week. That would be my guess at any rate, that they'll start Evans just to see if a change of pace can can do something for their offense because they certainly seemed out of sorts. Fortunately for them, they are going into a bye week to give them some extra time to figure that out. And they need to figure that out. Uh, Brandon Banks has looked disinterested at times. He's looked ineffective at times. He's a guy that that offense relies on. Mazzoli, like you said, has seemed out of sorts. And I don't know if 3 for 10 for 21 yards is enough to knock him off of that starting position. They've got to do a lot of things in this bye week to figure out what the heck is going on on offense. What was also telling in that game was that the Tiger Cats started to get very antagonistic. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that they couldn't believe that this was happening again. That they're supposed to be hosting and playing in that Grey Cup in December. And right now, they don't look like a team that's getting anywhere close to that. The Rough Riders, for their part, did nothing to back away from any of that antagonism and picked up 20 penalties for 187 yards. That's undisciplined is not going to serve you well in the long run, and it's going to hurt at some point. It it definitely impacted the game. Um, You know, the the chippiness when you're watching it, the flow of the game gets uh, set back a little bit. And and I think for me, the most baffling thing with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the amount of penalties they took was on on the goal line stance. How many times can you line up offside? I mean, that should be a no brainer. Uh, If I'm Coach Dickinson, I am absolutely going to let my team know about that. That's horrible. You've got a great big stripe out there that is the goal line and a hash mark that is the one-yard line. If you can't figure out where to line up with those cues, I don't know how you coach that. I I know Micah Johnson a couple times was going up and down the line trying to get these guys to move back, but what would happen is that Mazzoli would come up to the line very quickly and the riders would all sort of move forward. Well, immediately you're going to put yourself offside because as you indicate, Heath, that's a big white stripe. And guess who else can see that? The officials. Absolutely. You might get away with that in the middle of the field, but not on the goal line. Do you think that the penalties is something that's going to get cleaned up as players get more comfortable? I know the Argonauts took 18 penalties, I believe, in that game against Winnipeg as well. So there's some... There's some sloppiness and there's also some animosity. That Winnipeg-Toronto game was hard hitting, so it's not surprising to see some penalties, but there was some <laughs> there was there were some poor decisions by Toronto that led to some more of those penalties. And uh, you know, the Rough Riders are kind of in the same boat. They've got some things to clean up, and maybe as they get more comfortable, those penalty numbers will start to come down. You do wonder if a year's absence in playing has impacted some of the players. I mean, mentally, you, it's hard to stay sharp for that period of time. And they're coming back, and in some cases, having to relearn um, how Canadian football varies from United States football for our, our international players. But, I, I mean, really, these teams need to clean it up because it's not fun to watch. Traditionally, we see more penalties in the summer than we do going towards the fall. Part of it is because of the anxiety of getting out there and playing. And part of it is too, is that 
as we see with the Tiger Cats. It's a team that doesn't expect to be where they are, and there's frustration building over that. They don't understand it. They're supposed to be 2-0, and and they're supposed to be the team that everyone's chasing. Instead, they're at the bottom looking up in the East. Every other Eastern squad has won except them. Regardless if they've been on the road for two weeks, I don't think anyone would have picked that they would have been 0-2. Interesting to see the power rankings that have Ottawa sitting in last. Like To me, I think Hamilton almost needs to be in last place there or, or one of Calgary and Edmonton because Ottawa was able to execute and come out with a win. But there's that belief system, right? Everyone else thinks that Hamilton's better than this. And when you've got that pressure on you, you sometimes blow a gasket out there when things aren't going your way. Second down. Some big football games again this week coming up in the Canadian Football League as week three gets unveiled on Thursday night. The Elks are in BC. This is almost a must-win game when we talk about, you know, games within conference. This is one that they're going to need to take if they want to have a shot. Third place is still open. Um, right now, it seems like first place at 2-0. and I know it's early in, in the season, but certainly it seems like the, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and Saskatchewan Rough Riders are the class of the West at this point in time. So this is one I believe that Edmonton has to come out strong and pick up a win if they want to stay in the race. When you're looking at a 14-game season... You're absolutely right. Those head-to-head matchups and those in, those games within the division are so important. And right now, with Edmonton over, if they do not win in BC, that's a team that they're likely going to be in the mix with for that last playoff spot. So if they go 0-3 and, and are now falling that much further behind, it's a lot to ask for a team to come back and, and make up that ground without that many games in a season. So... I think Michael Riley definitely looked stronger in game two than he did in game number one. There's still some concerns about that arm and how it's going to hold up. However, that BC offense looks a lot more comfortable already. And Edmonton, as we've mentioned, they can put up yards, but they have struggled to put up points. So it's a, if they start to click and convert some of those red zone chances, they're going to put points on the board. But right now, I still would give the edge to BC in this one. I do wonder if Edmonton is going to be able to bring Ellingson into the game a little bit more. Certainly he's one that I would have expected would be putting up bigger numbers than he has to this point. And uh, they haven't really utilized him as, as well as they had previously. If I think back to the days in Ottawa when Harris and Ellingson hooked up, that was the number one connection and it certainly helped Ottawa to succeed. So I would expect you'll see more of that in this game. Given what happened to BC during training camp and they're losing their defensive coordinator, Rick Campbell has actually done pretty well picking up the portfolio and getting this team together. Back in BC, I don't know what the crowd size is going to be because BC's restrictions are far different than what they are in the rest of the prairies. Just being on your home turf makes a big difference. Edmonton, if they lose, they go, yes, 0-3. But think of it this way too. If BC wins, they're up with the top dogs in the West if they lose, they're hanging out with the Elks at the bottom and Calgary. You're absolutely right. I mean, BC puts up a win here. They, their second half against Saskatchewan showed that they can put up a lot of points and they can be very successful. So you start to wonder if they have an opportunity, you know, when they play Winnipeg and Saskatchewan, those are big games. They could work their way up into the top echelon of the West. Friday night, it's the Alouettes in Calgary. And of course, the big news out of Calgary, and we alluded to it in the first down, 
Bo Levi Mitchell is not going to start a quarterback for the Stampeders. That means a quarterbacking change. Michael O'Connor, the Canadian, is going to get a start. We've seen him in Toronto. He did well, but he didn't have much time as a starter. This is a tough, tough situation because the Alouettes are close to being the class of the East. Calgary is going to have to come out and play a flawless game, I think, to beat them. O'Connor is going to have an opportunity to learn very quickly. There's really no one else, uh, so he's going to be playing. And and I think, given what we saw out of Mitchell in the first two games, I think he may be a better option because Mitchell just really seemed off sorts. And as we know, with a broken leg, he's he, he definitely struggled. So I, I'm excited to see Calgary maybe get the ball out a little bit more. Um, I, I would think that O'Connor is going to have the opportunity to find some receivers and build up. I just wonder how long it will take him to really be confident in the starting role. The one thing that O'Connor, I think, will bring to the game is that he won't be a sitting duck in the uh, pocket. Even at the best of times, Mitchell was not a great scrambler. He would maybe run once or twice a season. O'Connor isn't going to be like that. He's going to move the pocket around. He's going to challenge the linebackers. I think the biggest thing for Calgary is their offensive line is going to have to have a phenomenal game to give them a chance to win this one. Montreal's defensive line looked very impressive against Edmonton and for a a untested quarterback to come into a situation and face a defensive line like that if they put some pressure on him early it could be trouble and on the other side of the ball Calgary's defense has to really step up to give them a chance as well if they can hold Montreal to 15 points like they did in their their last game that might be their best chance but I don't see Calgary really putting a lot of points on the board. It, O'Connor could have the game of his life. Stranger things have happened. But right now, I think it's uh, Calgary's best chance is to have a low-scoring game. But if Montreal's offense comes out rolling like they did in their last one too, it's going to be a, a rough night in Calgary. Think back to 2019. Vernon Adams and the group go into Calgary, fall way behind, come back, tie the game, and win it in overtime. The Alouettes have been building. They were, uh, We've mentioned they were on the ascendancy in 2019. They had the hiccup in the East semifinal, yes. But there's a lot of growth potential. And Danny Machocha did a lot of work to retool that defense. He wasn't happy with what they were providing. They've gotten a lot younger, but they've also picked up some good veteran leadership, ironically, from Edmonton. There's going to be some swagger in that Alouette lineup. Head coach... Kahari Jones brings a lot to the table for Montreal as well. He's not that far removed from being a player, and you could see him on the sidelines. He was was fired up in that game against Edmonton. He was fist pumping and jumping up and down when that offense was making plays. So for a quarterback like Vernon Adams to have a Kahari Jones as his head coach, he was a bit of a gunslinger, very confident quarterback in his day as well. And I think that is going to be huge for the growth and development of Vernon Adams, keep his confidence level up, even if he throws a couple of picks, he's got a, a head coach that can throw his arm around him, discuss the mistakes, but motivate him to move on. So as I mentioned in our in our previews of the season, Montreal's offense is a very exciting group of players to watch. And uh, with a struggling Calgary, the potential of them going 0-3 and, and Montreal smelling blood, like you said, to come out of Alberta with two big road wins, that's going to be a real motivator for them to take charge of the East. The coaching of Baron Miles. It's his first chance to be a defensive coordinator, and it looks like that team has really responded to him. Moving along, 
we've got another huge game with a rematch of the Blue Bombers and the Argonauts in Toronto. And again, Ontario, with their COVID rules, the crowd probably be restricted in its size, but we do know at BMO Field that even a small crowd can make a lot of noise. That's our first game played at home in the East this season, so it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. I believe Arbuckle is going to start for Toronto. I think he has now got himself healthy. Uh, we saw him move the ball a little bit at, in that game in Winnipeg, so this is his opportunity to step in as the starter and see what he can do. Now, facing that Winnipeg defense is no easy task. They have not given up a lot of points at all this season, and if he can pick those holes in the secondary to complete some some longer plays, that's probably their best chance, but uh, Zach Caleros has looked very relaxed for Winnipeg. That offensive line has done a fantastic job of keeping him upright, which is key to Winnipeg's success. And if they can reestablish that running game that wasn't as dominant in week number two as it was in week number one, then Winnipeg's, I think, the favorite going into this one. The one problem for the Blue Bombers in 2019 was that second half wasn't stellar when it came to their defense, especially when they had a big lead. And more than once, they gave it away. They put it in neutral when they think they've got it won, and they sometimes do it a quarter too soon. I do think the one thing that the Toronto team has in its favor is a strong veteran presence. We've talked before about whether or not they'll gel, but those veterans also know how to flush a game, to come back and reset, knowing what that is. And I think if they're able to, similar to what we said with Calgary, put things together and play a relatively error-free game, they have an opportunity to, to stay in this game, at least make it interesting at the end. The Argonauts have got to be looking at what's happening with the Tiger Cats and saying to themselves that if we get this, we're two and one, we're four points up on them already. That's huge at this point in the season. We've talked about the abbreviated schedule and every game matters so much. It doesn't. And we, we know that Ottawa has a win as well. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be an opportunity for Toronto to separate themselves in, in the East and potentially stay up with Montreal if they can take this game. It's a big if. I do think that uh, Winnipeg's defense is going to be stellar once again, so it's they're going to have to play a very strong game to get this win. Speaking of Ottawa, they are in Regina to play the Rough Riders on Saturday afternoon. I would think, just looking at the betting line on this one, I think that the Riders are heavily favored, but the Rough Riders took a big hit when Simone Lawrence trying to tackle Cody Fajardo as he crossed into the end zone, accidentally rolled over the leg of Shaq Evans, and Evans is gone for six. That's a huge loss for Saskatchewan. Ottawa really eked out a win in week number one in Edmonton. And uh, as we talked about, they didn't look that flashy out there on offense. Their defense certainly played a fantastic game. And if that defense can carry through and give the Rough Riders fits, that's going to be their best chance. But again, I think it's important for Ottawa to have ball control eat up as much of that clock as they can. Because I think even without Evans, the Saskatchewan offense has a lot of dangerous weapons out there. And Cody Fajardo can put up yards like crazy. So it's going to be a tough test for Ottawa. We all predicted that Edmonton was going to blow them out in week number one. That didn't happen. So this is a real defining moment, I think, for the Red Blacks and to see what kind of team they've got this season. Just a quick reminder, Edmonton put up 443 yards against the Red Blacks 
Ottawa countered with 127 and won the game. Ottawa's offense seemed very futile in that game, but the, for me, their defense was the biggest surprise of week one. Uh, I certainly would not have had Ottawa's defense performing like it did. It's going to be an opportunity to see if, in fact, this is indicative of the defense they have, if they can come out strong like that again, or, or if truly that was just a, a great scheme and lineup and they got lucky. Like you said, Don, Ottawa's defense certainly gave up a lot of yards, but when their offense was so underperforming, that defense was on the field for so much of that game. So they stepped up where it mattered and kept Edmonton out of the end zone and kept those points off the board. So, you know, you, you kind of you play the numbers game and look at yards given up, but at the end of the day, it's points on the board that matter and Ottawa kept that one a huge player in that game against Edmonton was Abdul Kenna now he's limited at practice because of a hamstring if he's not playing I heard some conjecture and I thought this was interesting that the riders should just dump eight into the box and and push Nichols to try to throw it over the top he completed one ball for over 10 yards in the second half against Edmonton is that shoulder strong enough to throw it down the field and I think that's where you maybe test him but if you've got eight in the box, how far down the field does he have to actually throw it to make a big play? If you're all coming at him, all of a sudden, he doesn't need to throw it 45 yards. He needs to throw it 18 to 20 yards, and that receiver is in a one-on-one -on -one situation and gone. But can he get it there? <laughs> well, that's where you might see, uh, you know, Saskatchewan's defense, which are, you know, they're, they're ball hawks at times. We saw Marshall get burned in week one because he's looking in the backfield and I can see them thinking okay this is our chance to, to, to make some points and and potentially get defensive points if we can pick him off because he my guess is you're going to see a lot of short passes coming out of Ottawa they're going to be moving down I think if they do start to try to throw long Saskatchewan is going to load the box and go hard at them I think you really if you're the Rough Riders you really try to find out how strong that Matt Nichols throwing arm is he had pretty serious surgery, and against Edmonton, it looked like he was shot-putting the ball as much as throwing it. If his arm isn't there, I wonder if Davis comes in sooner than we think, because Ottawa is in the same boat as everybody else. They've got to make hay while the, the sun is shining. They can't throw away games to find out if Nichols is able to throw it 40 yards across the field or down the field. Yeah, you're right. I think a key for Saskatchewan is if they can take away those five to eight yard passes that Nichols has made a career out of and make those a lot tougher to complete, then there's a lot more questions about his capabilities. The Ottawa defense under Mike Benavidez, we knew was probably going to be reasonably well. Saskatchewan provides a completely different set of circumstances. It's a quarterback that doesn't mind taking off. It's definitely going to be a challenge for them as we've seen Saskatchewan move the ball successfully. Uh, it seems like you know, there's a lot of strong receivers on that team, so you can't double cover too many. With Shaq Evans out, we're probably going to see McRoberts get a chance coming out of Saskatchewan, so it will be interesting. He and uh, William Lambert were in a, a competition in camp, and so we'll see how he does as a receiver, but I still would give the edge to Saskatchewan over Ottawa's offense. So let's pick the winners. Thursday night, Edmonton and BC. Edmonton plus 4.5, the Tuesday line. I'm taking the Lions in this one. I didn't think I would be picking them to win this game at this point in the season, but from what I've seen of those two teams, I'm leaning towards the Lions. I agree with Heath. I think you've got to go Lions based on what we've seen today. I would agree. I think the Lions, especially at home, have to be favored. Friday night, Montreal plus 1.5 in Calgary. For me, that's a no-brainer. You're going Montreal with that line. 
Heath? I expect that line to move based on the information we got today about Bo Levi Mitchell, but I'm still taking Montreal in that one until Calgary proves us otherwise. I think they're a team going the wrong direction. Montreal looked really good against Edmonton. I'd be surprised if Calgary wins. Saturday afternoon, Winnipeg in Toronto, the rematch. Winnipeg minus 6.5. I'm going with the Bombers to get the back-to-back sweep of Toronto. Um, I do think Arbuckle gets the start for Toronto, so that offense will look a lot different than it did in week number two. Uh, But I think the Winnipeg defense is rolling right now, and they can carry any team through to a win. And uh, Winnipeg's offense is looking pretty sharp as well, so I'm giving the edge to the Bombers. Once again, I have to agree. I think Winnipeg is the, the, the team to beat right now based on what we've seen in the first two weeks. And so I do think they'll be able to take Toronto. I don't think we've seen Toronto gel yet. And having a new quarterback will provide a different opportunity to see if the offense can move a little bit better than they did last game. Um, you know, in their first game, they did put up some decent yards. So we'll see what happens here. I'm going to go with Toronto. I think Nick Arbuckle is their starting quarterback, is going to be the difference maker in this game. And I think the Argos will win. Our final game, Ottawa plus 10 and a half in Regina, late Saturday afternoon. Pat? I think Saskatchewan's still going to be able to cover that fairly easily. We've seen the explosiveness of their offense in week two. I think they're only going to get better. Yes, they're missing Shaq Evans, but uh, for me, they established a bit more of a ground game. I know most of it was in the fourth quarter, and I think we'll see them come out and, and cover that easily. Ottawa was certainly the biggest surprise of week number one and probably the season so far, but they still haven't proven everything to me if they go into Saskatchewan and beat the Riders I might be singing a different tune next week but right now I still gotta go with Saskatchewan um you know if Ottawa blows my mind then good on them but it's looking like a Riders win to me I'd be surprised if Saskatchewan A doesn't cover and B doesn't win so I'm going with the Rough Riders and these odds of course coming out on a Tuesday so bear with us and they're provided by Bet Regal what's happening in our pool Two weeks in a row, Gromit 1996 and Dini 13 are leading the way with 13 points each. Gromit has gone an impressive 6-2 and two so far in Pickums. I'm happy to report that I did not go 0 for 4 in week number 2. Um, I did go 3-1, and 1, so I'm in the middle of the pack at 7 points. I think going to tighten up, like I said, I needed to get my confidence back after that disastrous week number 1. And we're all still in this. Well, I have had two disastrous weeks overall, so I can't say anything here. My picks have been out to lunch. I've been middling. Third down. If anything, in the first two weeks that I've proven to the world is that I don't know how to pick players. I think I was below you in both weeks, Don, so (laughs) I'm even worse. I was sitting pretty heading into the fourth game of this week number two. I was looking like I might win some money, but it went downhill fast because I did not have Cody Fajardo as my quarterback, and he put up some pretty impressive numbers. When you pick MBT and Devaris Daniels and they cannot make a connection, uh, it was just a frustrating week. <laughs> so, Pat, on that note, then, you've, you're dismissing McLeod Bethel-Thompson in week number three. Uh, who's... He will not be on my team. I can guarantee that. Yeah. No, actually, this week, uh, if we take a look at quarterbacks and running backs, I, I'm going to go, we talked about them a lot in first and second down, but I'm going to go with Montreal on both of these. I see Adams as being the best value. Certainly, Fajardo would be 
was one I looked at and, and would love to take, but it didn't seem to leave me enough for the rest of my players. So I'm I'm taking Adams and I'm taking Standback. He he was pretty dominant that week, so I'm thinking he'll have another good week. How about you, Heath? I'm going to mirror you on this one, Pat. Um, I agree that Montreal offense came out rolling in week number one, and um, I, I'm worried about Calgary. So um, if anybody's going to put up some big numbers this week, I'm going to count on Montreal. So I'm going Adams and Standback as well. Done. I'll go with Adams for sure. I think that's uh, that's a big stats night just waiting to be made. But I'm going to deviate here. I'm going to pick uh, Butler from the uh, Lions. James Butler could get some extra points against the Elks. A good value pick, perhaps. Let's move on to wide receiver. Heath, who are you taking this week? Again, as we mentioned, Winnipeg has done a good job of spreading the ball around. Rashid Bailey got his first touchdown of his career actually last week. So I'm going to pick up uh, Rashid Bailey and I'm going to pick up Wynicki. So both receivers come in 6,200 and 6,300 respectively. So I'm burning through some money on my uh, quarterback and running back. So got to find some sneaky receivers that are going to put up some numbers for me. Don, who have you got? Pick up Brian Burnham. I just think clutch. That's all there is to it. He's probably the best hands on any receiver in the league. And I just think with Riley... At quarterback, he gets better numbers. The other uh, receiver I'm going with, I'm going back to Calgary, but I'm taking the Alouettes, BJ Cunningham. You know, when I was looking at receivers, I really wanted to stack a Montreal receiver in there, but the the price was high on the ones I wanted to take. So I I went with more value in my receivers. I am starting with Lenius. I see him as a good value pick at 6,000. And uh, the other one I'm going with is a bit of a a reach because I couldn't find anyone else in the value at 4,500. I took Huff from Calgary, hoping he can make a connection with the new quarterback. Flex, I've gone with Chris Rainey from the Lions. I think he's overdue. The other player that I'm thinking, I'm going out east this time, Rodney Smith with the Argos. Again, it's a value pick. You know, I'm going to mirror you in in terms of taking a receiver out of Toronto. I went with Ricky Collins at at 6,100 thinking that he would be a good pick. And then I, I spent some more money with Shaq Evans out. I decided I'd go with Kyron Moore and pick him up. That's 9100 so that's my most expensive receiver. So I'm going with the four receivers with my extra flex. Heath? And I've gone with two that you guys have each got one of. I'm going with BJ Cunningham and uh, Lenius from Saskatchewan. Again, I think great value. He showed a, a fantastic start to his season in week number one. Um, I'm staying away from Toronto receivers because I strongly believe that Winnipeg defense is going to give the Argos fits. So not investing any of my time or effort with the Argos, they will probably prove me wrong, blow it up. But uh, Cunningham and Linnaeus are my picks. A telling stat on DraftKings is that the Rough Riders defense is worth $6,000. I don't think I've ever seen (laughs) a CFL defense worth that much. Given that, I went with the Rough Riders. Oh, some big money spent there. Okay, there's 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 why we have Butler and some of the other value picks within. But that's a I think that's a great pick. Had I had enough money, I would have taken them. I didn't, so I went for what I think will be the second best this week, Winnipeg, forty nine hundred. Fearful for the Calgary Stampeders, and because of that strong defensive line, I'm going with the Montreal Alouettes. I think they might be a steal at forty three hundred, um, with a with an unproven quarterback in there. Some sacks might come up. Some some interceptions and that sort of thing. So they might be a, a sneaky 4,300 to get me some fantasy points. How solid are these picks? We're recording on Tuesday. Are there going to be changes? Oh, I always change. We've talked before. I usually put a couple teams in the quarter bet on DraftKings as well, so I can play with them a little bit. And I usually 
end up liking someone better and often they turn out worse than the guys I had originally. <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely have another look through as well, but I'm feeling pretty good this week. I'm going to move up one notch and get into the money. This is the team that's going to get me there. I have to teach myself to trust first blush. Did, did you change a lot last time, Don? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble podcast. Audio worth watching.